the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, August 6, 2021. It's your Friday. It's your show. It's Open Lines Friday. Anything on your mind? Happy to talk to you about it. Do anything you want. Answer anything you want. Best as I can. With the uh, three conditions Plato sets out for dialogue. Candor, truth, intelligence, give you as much as I can muster, and goodwill, goodwill. I want to talk a little bit about Plato and something about Aristotle, too, in a few moments. But on that goodwill point, I, um, I'm not sure if we've stepped back, and pardon the pun, but looked at where we are from a 50,000-foot view. What pun? I was watching an article about fights breaking out on airplanes, domestic travel flights. And there are about four times already as many this year as all of last year. Four times as many fights have broken out on airplanes this year, seven months in, eight months in, as in the entirety of the year prior. This with a vaccine, mind you. Is it a sign of Americans becoming more angry with each other, more embittered? Possibly. But one of the things I don't want us to overlook is the amount of stress that this country has been put through. This kind of stress over things we never used to even think about. Going to the store, sending your kids to school, buying paper towel and toilet paper, coughing, sneezing, going out in public, being kind to the person in front of you, being kind to the cashier. Any number of normal interactions have, well, shall we say there's a disturbance, there's been a huge disturbance in the force. And I know a lot of people are now engaging in conversations about, is it the airline's fault? Is it the airport's fault? Are Americans being shoved and pushed around too much? Should they be serving more food? Should they be serving alcohol? Should they not be serving alcohol? And quite frankly, I'm not sure it's the airline's fault. I'm really not. I have like you, fond memories of what flight used to be. But over the years, I've grown up, as society has, and realized that unless you're in a certain status where you can afford it, and by it I mean something monumentally different, airline flight isn't much different than a bus in the air. That's how I think of it. And once you have your expectations 
said appropriately, you tend not to be too disappointed. Fellow passengers, and they finding the need to tell on and instruct other fellow passengers for not doing the right thing. All of us have had our nerves frayed. But is it too much to ask in a time of vaccine, in a time of basically yielding the politics that we said we had to yield to? Is it, is it worth us really truly engaging in these individual civilian wars that make America look like it's at civil war with itself? I was thinking about this and the rules of conventional behavior and civility. George Washington, George Washington, maybe not the most important figure in elementary and secondary schools anymore, but once upon a time, he was known as the indispensable man in this country. First in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen. That's how he was known, for a lot of reasons, over a lot of stories and a lot of history. We've done some of it here. One of the things I don't think I ever brought up on air and is very fun is that when he was a young lad of 14, only 14, he transcribed a series of rules for civility. Rules for civility. Is it too much to read George Washington at age 14 before he could even have the mental state of owning property, physical, chattel, otherwise? Might we study what he was as a youth even? Is that so far gone that we can't do that? You want to know what rule number one was? It's just kind of fun. Every action done in company ought to be with some sign of respect to those that are present. Maybe we could have the airlines post George Washington's rules. Maybe that's all it takes. Remember the book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? They're not learning that stuff in kindergarten anymore. They're learning how to be anti-racist. That's the book, Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram Kendi. Rule number two, when in company, put not your hands to any part of the body not usually discovered. Rule number three, show nothing to your friend that may frighten him. Rule number four, in the presence of others, sing not to yourself with a humming noise, nor drum with your fingers or feet. Rule number five, if you cough, sneeze, sigh, or yawn, do it not loud, but privately, and speak not in your yawning, but put your handkerchief or hand before your face and turn aside. I was at a restaurant the other night, and someone was wearing very heavily uh, adorned perfume. I could smell it from my table. It was overdone. And the person who showed up and joined this woman for dinner had a series of about six or seven loud, big, violent sneezes, none covered, none covered. And, you know, I, I, I looked. I think everyone probably looked. And the person next to that person, the, the woman with the perfume, said, oh, they probably think you have Delta or something, dismissively. She has no idea, <laughs> obviously, what my true thoughts are. But I would have given the look if it were two years ago, three years ago, or four years ago. I'm not trying to be any kind of blue nose here, but something has changed in America, hasn't it? Something has changed in civil dialogue. When I, 
laid out the platonic conditions for dialogue as I've long seen them. Candor as much as you can muster. Intelligence as much as you can muster. Goodwill as much as you can muster. All three of those things have been put at tremendous discount. Candor, truth. Do we know what it is anymore? You've heard me talk about my truth. Forget my truth, your truth, his truth, and her truth, and the truth for a moment. Are you able to discern the truth from reading the major newspapers in this country or watching news reports on television? That's the candor part. Intelligence. Are we doing better at teaching our children and educating our society? Are we a more educated society? I will tell you we are not. I will tell you we are not. You simply cannot remove the organ and demand the function, as C.S. Lewis says. You want to get rid of the classics, then be prepared for a civilization that doesn't know classic thought, behavior, or theology. Candor, intelligence. How about the goodwill? Are we treating people and each other with goodwill? And I don't just mean the airlines and the airplanes. I mean on the streets. I mean in the restaurants. I mean wherever you run into people, at the gym. George Washington, of course, had his rules of civility. And there are a ton of them. I forget how many he wrote down. A lot. I think it was over a hundred. And you could just as easily go to the speech on decency by Judge Leonard White in The Bonfire of the Vanities. You can go, obviously, to the Bible. You can go to the stories of Aesop. You can go to a lot of the different classics. I was put in mind of classics and Plato because I was put in mind earlier today of Aristotle, who was, of course, Plato's student. And in his book, The Nicomachean Ethics, I asked earlier in the week, is there a book that's ever changed your life? And what book is it and why? Feel free to call in on that today. My teacher's most favorite and important book was Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. He called it the most perfect book. And in book seven of the Nicomachean Ethics, you see Aristotle talk about and discuss friendship, three kinds of friendship. I've spoken on this show about Aristotelian friendship, what Aristotle defines as the best kind of friendship, the kind not dependent on one another for a transaction and not the kind that exists between unequals, but the kind of friendship that is based on what Aristotle defined as the good, good things that make you a better person. The definition is a good friend is someone who makes you a better person. So much so, he says, that among friends there is no need for justice. That's the perfect idea of friendship. A listener today stopped by, greeted me as his Aristotelian friend, and he brought me a gift that uh, was a caricature of me and the things I talk about and care about on this show with you. And um, you've heard him on this show a, a lot. He calls in regularly, Rick in Phoenix. And, of course, a big thank you to Rick. But gestures, gestures. Do you know how you can change someone's life with just a kind gesture? I have a dear friend in town named Bridget, 
says whenever we complain, there's always someone having a worse day. You bet there are. Maybe for a moment be a friend to them. And maybe before doing anything else, when you go out the door, just remember candor, intelligence, and goodwill. Three things that are at discount that you have the power to improve. Decency. Decency is what your grandmother taught you. It's in your bones. Now you go home. Go home and be decent people. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Open lines Friday, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? The fun question for the day is, if there is a book, if there is a book that has changed your life, or more than one, what is it and why? Let's first uh, go on, uh, looks like, COVID questions and decency. Dana in Chandler. Dana, how's the six-pack faring today? This, You know what? We just actually drove in about an hour ago from a three-day camping trip with the six-pack, and they did great, I have to say. They're now populating in the general population, getting to meet all the adults, and it should be an interesting next few weeks. How old are the Fab Six? The, the six are four weeks old, yeah. so they're toddling around, they're eating food, oh, they're starting great. to make their wishes known. <laughs> it's about to get really I'm starting loud. to make mine known. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you simply, you can't, about... there are two things. You just can't be unhappy if you do one of two things, raise dogs or play the banjo. You, you can't sing a sad song on a banjo and you can't be in a bad mood with dogs, Dana. Well, you can't be in a bad mood with dogs no. for sure. I no. mean, they're endlessly entertaining. I don't know about the banjo thing. I, it's an old Steve Martin line. Player. I'll take his word for it. You know, try it. Oh, okay. Death and grief and sorrow <laughs> and murder. It doesn't work. I used to love Steve yeah, Martin. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> he was His cat stuff was hilarious. Oh, the cat stuff was great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm listening to you. You're talking about, you know, this just being decent when you're out and about. Yeah. Um, and this whole mask. Have turned into the whole virtue signaling about being being a decent person. Um, as we're driving back to town, I got a text from my mother, who I haven't seen in over a year, who hasn't been to Phoenix in two years, but just spent uh, a week over the fourth with all of her grandkids, not masks, and has asked us when she gets here on Tuesday if we would please wear a mask around her. Well, she's staying in my home. So I said, no, I will not be wearing a mask in my own home when you're here. And she said, well, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the decent thing to do. It's, it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the, 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 I can't remember the actual word to choose because I'm trying to blame The right now. kind, but, but courteous, decent, was, yeah, thing to do, right. Yeah, sure. it's the courteous, decent thing yeah. to do. I'm asking you for this simple accommodation to just wear a mask around me. Yeah. Like they think it's just this simple you know, just put a mask on. I'm just asking you to wear a mask in your own home when I'm here visiting so you don't have... Now, this woman is fully vaccinated and just flew to Denver and back a weekend ago for a funeral. But she's coming to my home to visit me and her grandkids, and I have to wear a mask in my own home. But but making it sound like, well, it's it's my fault that I won't wear a mask and she won't come visit. Yeah, this is, this is what the government has done in its... Uh 
in its recommendations and in what it's allowed private enterprise and the states to do is it has shifted the dynamic of what's normal and abnormal and it has shipped, shifted the onus of whose behavior should comport to the general rule. Usually, yeah. right? Usually, as in law, we have what's known as the reasonable man standard, the reasonable person standard. What would the reasonable person do in a situation? I haven't been in a courtroom in a while, but I'm guessing that it's increasingly difficult to identify what that reasonable person standard is because it's it's increasingly difficult to find a reasonable person and it's increasingly difficult yeah. to define reason. But that's the point of what's going on here between people like yourself and your mother. One side is being unreasonable and asking the other side to be unreasonable, to join them in that unreason. Um, the only purpose... But to them it is reasonable. I know, but the only purpose, and, and, and here's the best I can do, the only purpose we are told to wear a mask is to prevent someone else from catching the coronavirus if you have it. It presumes you're sick. All you have to do Correct. is tell your mom, I don't have the coronavirus, I'm not sick. So I'm not, if you please, going to engage in paranoia fantasy. I'm just not. I learned that from you, mom. I don't know what more to <laughs> well, say. I, I, but no. I, as, an, <laughs> I, as a non-sick person... I'm not going to be looked at with suspicion that I am a sick person. I'm not going to concede to the world that we are a sick society when I know for a fact that we are not. And I'm not going to bend normal psychology to abnormal psychology and then call it normal. If someone who is vaccinated, fully vaccinated, has still inordinate fear of catching the virus – then their problem isn't with you, it's with Joe Biden. He's the one who told them a vaccination will keep them healthy and safe. Right, and it's a lot. I mean, she, she, she had said to me that um, it, she's afraid that she could carry it to someone else, yet she's leaving my home to go to Santa Fe to go to Indian Market with a friend from Canada. Right, right. To, it's, I, like, I just don't know how they don't put it together it, well it's, it's so unreason clear it's, to me how silly it is it's unreason it's not reasonable there is no reason uh behind this i i don't mean an articulable justification i mean reason in the sense of the brain connecting dots of one plus one equaling two yeah and she's not a dumb woman no I mean, she, obviously I know a, she's not a dumb woman not, not she raised not. me well, the head of the CDC is an MD. You know, these aren't dumb people. Right. They're just misdirected right. or, 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 or in the grip, and I hate to say it, but in the grip of an unfounded and undue fear. Yeah. Considerate, that's the word. It would be considerate of me to wear a mask around her. Oh. Well, I think <laughs> asking someone to change your appearance to make them feel comfortable is the inconsiderate thing to do. Right. I really do. Exactly. I really do. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Absolutely. thought I was losing my mind. No, you're not. You're not. It's just that inmates have taken over the asylum. True that. No, it really that is the problem. The inmates have taken over the asylum, and they're adorned with all the apparatuses of normalcy, including governmental authority. Once upon a time, the left told us to distrust, distrust the government. I see what they meant. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That band, The Cars, uh, entirely from Boston, uh, they they sound a little British, don't they? When they Is that Rico Kasich's voice? He sounds a little British. Kid from Boston. Sam is in Phoenix. Hi, Sam. Hey, Seth. Uh, listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about masks. I was talking to a surgeon. Uh, he was talking about masks. And, you know, sometimes I don't think this is talked about enough, but you know, uh, the surgeons wear masks when they're operating surgery to keep the patient, protect the patient. You know, they don't put a mask on the patient to protect the surgeon. And uh, he was saying, you know, when you have a mask on and somebody else has perfume on, you could smell the perfume just fine. Well, that if there's a COVID in the air, the COVID would go right through the mask, you know, like a bullet through a sunscreen. So masks really don't, and he's telling me, so masks really don't protect anyone. Uh, as you said, they're only, you know, for people who have COVID. Yeah, so I, I mean, that, that is, that is, that concept yet. yeah, so look, there's a lot of unwinding to do here, and I'm not sure people understand the full range of it. So let's start with the fact of what masks originally what we were originally told about masks, which is they might make you feel better as a psychological thing, but they're actually probably more dangerous than not because they themselves and the way they're misused and mishandled can transmit a lot of other bacteria and virus, if not the COVID virus. You may recall Anthony Fauci saying that in a uh, NBC News interview early on. Uh, that became irrelevant, or at least a nullity along the lines somewhere. And we were then told masking was the important thing to do. And we were told you mask to prevent the transmission of COVID. So it had assumed through universal masking that there was universal COVID infection, something I never accepted, something the government numbers never revealed. That having been said, now that you've made it the presumption that the entire society is sick, they told us wearing two masks is even a better idea. One wasn't good. So zero to one to two, wondering what the science was that got us to one, wondering what the science was that got us to two, to then be told that with the vaccine we would no longer need to wear a mask at all that you could not transmit the virus with the, with, once you were vaccinated. We now are at an odd point where the CDC is now telling us three-year-olds need to mask and the entire population, vaccinated or non, needs to mask. There is not a single study, not a single study, that has shown the vaccinated able to transmit the coronavirus even if they have it. Even if they have it, there's not one, which tells me the mask is still a nullity. It is ridiculous. The notion that it's not asking much of people, of course it is. I want you to listen to Jen Psaki today. Uh, Peter Ducey asked Jen Psaki this. I'll, I'll come back to you in a moment, Sam. This, this, this is an opportune moment for this, this sound clip from Jen Psaki's uh, press conference today. Uh, Maestro, go right ahead. He says that his concern is about harmful emotional, academic, and psychological effects of putting kindergartners in masks 
for hours at a time. Is there any concern from officials that you guys talked to in your early pre-decisional uh, discussions about that? No, there's not. And I will tell you from personal experience, my rising kindergartner told me two days ago she could wear a mask all day, and she's just happy to go to camp and go to school. So and if someone object- said to Jen Psaki or Barack Obama when he was president, you know, we're hearing that um, the children in schools are doing worse and worse in their educational outcomes, whether we're looking at the national assessment of educational progress or some of these state scores we're seeing rising levels of students who aren't proficient in math and English. If Barack Obama were to say, well, my kids are doing just fine, I think you're overstating it. Or if Jen Psaki said, well, that's simply not true for the child in my, for, for my child in my school, I'm perfectly willing to accept that Jen Psaki's kindergartner is for masking. I'm certainly willing to accept there are a lot of things that may go on in the Saki house that don't represent the rest of America very well, or anyone's house for that matter. That ain't science. You want science? I'll give you science. The World Health Organization's guidance document on masking children up to age five. Children can be harmed. They can be harmed in their achievement of childhood developmental milestones. There's more, a lot more from the WHO and the CDC. Even children aged 6 to 11 shows the potential impact of mask wearing on learning and psychological development. That's the World Health Organization. Follow the science doesn't mean follow Jen Psaki's kindergartner. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam in Phoenix was calling us about masks. Sam, are you still there, sir? Yeah, I am. Oh, good. You gave me time to fill up the car with uh, gasoline. Thank you. Is it a little pricier than it was a couple months ago? Uh, A little pricier, but uh, I went to a uh, a, a discount warehouse place, and I got the gas at a decent price. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. Um, so, Sam, my, my, my point is I don't think the issue of masks has been anything but political, quite frankly. And if you want a poster child for how not to use, wear, and handle a mask, how not to, just watch the way the president uses his, including giving a disposable used mask to a child to throw away. Yeah, as I said, uh, Jen Psaki's daughter has not spent six months wearing a mask in school yet. So I don't think his daughter can lecture us on how to uh, how schools can affect. Isn't it uh, an odd response? It's such an odd response. It's like Jimmy Carter lecturing the nation on the importance of nuclear disarmament because of his daughter Amy. Well, I think it's just you know it's the same old liberal uh, line. Oh, the child says this, or the child says that, then you know we got to all look at the child and. And uh, I'm sorry, but, you know, we can't base our uh, our whole national uh, mask referendum on a six-year-old kid. You know, that's so a really good point. Step it up. That's a really good point, and that's not one I, I caught right away when I was thinking about it. So the nation's masking policy is based on the press secretary's six-year-old child, or at least you that betcha. is the rational defense of the nation's masking policy from the CDC. It's a really <laughs> good point, Sam. Yeah. Another thing, you know, people, you know, people are kind of frustrated and get frustrated with the political situation, what to do. And the last 
political political election that we had, you know, I, I kind of wrote a lot of checks to a lot of people and uh, spent a lot of money. This time I'm starting out, you know, do something. I'm just starting out picking up, you know, five or six causes and just sending everybody five bucks a month. I mean, this is what the liberals do. They get millennials, just, you know, they get thousands and thousands of millennials to send five or ten bucks a month. And sooner or later, you know, they've got millions of bucks. Yes. So it's a small thing. I mean, you can start off if you're frustrated and, you know, kind of wondering, what can I do? That's what a nice thought. Just, just pick five, you know, five organizations, five Republican candidates, whatever it might be. Send them five bucks a month. That's, that's where you start. Start there. That's and a really think, nice uh, point. So for the price of one cup of coffee, really, <laughs> yes, really, the price yes. of one cup of coffee, um, you, you, can, you can once a month or, you know, two cups of coffee once a month or three or four or five cups of coffee once a month, you can actually contribute to something you complain about or something you would like to see more of. It's a very good point for those that are capable of doing that. That is something you can do. There are no, um, there are, there is no lack of charitable organizations or good political candidates that can use that support. You bet. Thank you. Well, That's thanks. a great idea, Sam. Thanks a lot. You bet. Right. And I'll tell you one of them right now. If there is a political cause that I would give, you know, the maximum support possible to that you are able to, if you believe in putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to political office and political candidates and political change. I know it's not the state we live in, but it's California, and it's the governor's race. It is now an even race as to whether Newsom will be recalled or not. It is now a 50-50 proposition. That needle has moved in the direction of recalling Gavin Newsom. He was winning that referendum by 10 points a little over a month ago. It's now even. Part of that is because Larry Elder has decided to provide a choice and not an echo in the vernacular of the Goldwater campaign and the book about it by Phyllis Schlafly. Larry Elder was profiled in the Wall Street Journal recently by Alyssa Finley, great journalist, Boy, what he could do for our country. Mr. Elder, 69, grew up working class in Southern California in a different world, as he describes it. My father came to Los Angeles in 1945, right after the war, and he was able to work two full-time jobs as a janitor, cleaning toilets. He had a stay-at-home wife, my mother. My father was able to save his nickels and dimes to buy a house in South Central that right now remains in the family, and according to Zillow, is worth 600000 in those days, it was easier for low- and middle-income families to climb the economic ladder. Somebody nowadays with an eighth grade or dropout education like my father could not duplicate the route from poverty to the middle class if he worked three or four jobs, Mr. Elder says. Because the price of homes has gotten outrageous because of the stranglehold that the environmental extremists have on developmental contractors who otherwise would build more homes in California. Mr. Elder cannot be dismissed as a man of privilege, much less a man of white privilege, much less a white supremacist, much less a racist or a bigot. So what is Newsom column? What did Newsom column yesterday? What was the mudslinging that began? 
He's a Trump supporter. That's what Newsom called him, a Trump supporter. Okay, as you know, I like to find the meaning behind the meaning. Trump supporter. Newsom, in the worlds he travels in, he doesn't know probably very many Trump supporters. He knows a lot of lobbyists. He knows a lot of people with fine dining tastes. But I don't think he knows a lot of Trump supporters. I don't know that condemning the support of over 74 million Americans has the purchase Mr. Newsom thinks it does. I know California didn't vote for Trump, and I know there are more Democrats than Republicans in California. But there are an awful lot of independents who have helped move the needle to recall Gavin Newsom. That recall petition was not done by Republicans and could not have been accomplished exclusively by Republicans. There's an awful lot of independents and an awful lot of Democrats who don't like their businesses being taken from them, don't like being told how to dress, don't like being told that the stores aren't open because they have to close early because the prosecute the uh, the uh, the the uh, the government uh, agencies responsible for law enforcement won't arrest people who steal items from stores under thousand dollars, so they just close the stores. There's a lot of people in California, irrespective of their party, that don't like that. They don't like being harassed by naked people with mental issues. They don't like having their tax dollars pay six-figure salaries to people whose job it is to pick up human excrement when there's no shortage of indoor toilets in California. They don't like these things, nor should they. And if the project of Gavin Newsom is to make them like these things and make this the new normal, well, then California will be known as permanently abnormal. There is a chance we have right now, a very good one, to not only make California normal, but to show the rest of the country what a good and smart conservative can do. Let's not squander it. Go to electelder.com. Make haste. Help out. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Do you off the top of of your head know how many Americans there are, how many people live in America? I, I use a number and there's two or three places you can go to to get this. Standard, but I I say usually 330 million people. That's the number I usually stay with. Um, Joe Biden today kind of said something interesting. Let me see if I can get it for you. Bear with me. You have to get more people vaccinated. I said, well over, what's the number again? I remind myself, 350 million Americans have already been vaccinated. They're doing fine. 350 million Americans have already been vaccinated. As John Hinderocker says, what makes this appalling, given that Biden is alleged to be the president of the United States, is that there are nowhere near 350 million Americans. 
It isn't just that Biden can't read his note cards properly. Does he really not know how many people live in the country he purports to govern? Who reads that number and doesn't self-correct it? Apparently, the answer is no. Biden's lack of mental capacity is frightening, and we can only hope that he gets through his term without facing some crisis. What I'm worried about is he'll create a crisis. What I'm also worried about is that we will have a crisis that doesn't get reported. It's easy for journalists to keep us, along with the Democratic Party, in the mode of the crisis industrial complex of which I speak so regularly here. But what about the real crises that don't get the attention? If you don't watch Fox News, I will not blame you for being ignorant of the fact there is a crisis on our southern border. If you do not listen to talk radio, I will not blame you for not knowing that in McAllen, Texas, 7,000 illegal immigrants with COVID have been released into the community. 7,000 illegal immigrants with COVID have been released into the community of McAllen, Texas. That's a crisis. It's a public health crisis. The CDC should be in McAllen, Texas, not in your child's kindergarten classroom. Joseph, a listener, writes the cleverest thing I've seen today. Based on the president's press secretary's revelation that her kindergartner can wear a mask all day long and thus all children should wear masks all day long as well, I'm just wondering if my kid comes home to state that she didn't see any white supremacists during the course of her day, does that prove that President Biden was wrong in stating that white supremacy is a major threat and indeed a health crisis? I think that standard has to apply. A child shall lead them. I am Seth Liebson, Open Line Friday, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. 